Uh, Mosaic Kids, if you guys are going to Mosaic Kids, Miss Antonia is in the back, and we hope you have a great day today. I tried to get uh, Kyle to move everything to one service starting this weekend, but unfortunately we're not starting for uh, about six more weeks. So uh, we've, got a, we've got a lot to get to today. We've got a lot to talk about today, but first I have a confession, and perhaps this is not a surprising confession, and perhaps it's a confession that you've had stirring in your heart as well. Perhaps you've been thinking or feeling uh, a lot of what I'm about to say, but you've been scared to, to voice it or maybe even fearful to bring it uh, to anyone or even fearful to bring it to the Lord. And my confession is that I've been struggling through this series on the gospel and race, not because I disagree uh, w- with any of it or because my heart has been hardened in any way, quite the opposite, really. It's been a joy to see what uh, God's Word says about such a culturally relevant and locally relevant topic, right? Now, the the thing I've been struggling with through this series, and and maybe this is the part that lands with you, is that oftentimes, oftentimes I feel like I lack the knowledge and experience necessary to engage this topic faithfully, right? I feel like I lack the knowledge and experience necessary to engage this topic faithfully. Maybe that's uh, how you guys feel as well. When we talk about humility or love or parenting or patience or peace, I at least I feel like I have some experience there. Maybe I don't, uh, I'm I'm certainly not um, nailing all those things, but I feel like I I have something to say about them in conjunction with what God's word says. But this, there's just a a knowledge and experience gap uh, for me. Last week, uh, Kanan Park, Parker, who preached, he, he's lived out so much of this in ways that I never will, right? There's an experience and knowledge gap there between, uh, obviously, between me and him. And even many of you have lived out some of these realities or walked alongside uh, folks that have in ways that I have not. My experiences have been more limited. And if you do feel that way, if you do feel kind of that way that I'm feeling, here's how I would encourage you. I, I think it's easy with all topics, but especially with this topic, to enter into that conversation, to enter into this conversation with shame, right? To enter in um, that, that, I'm, that, that we're not doing enough, that um, you don't have anything to point to to say, well, I've done this or I've accomplished this. But here's my encouragement. Let's remember what Jesus said to his disciples. Did he say, if you've succeeded in all areas of life, you can come and be part of our ministry? No, he said, follow me, right? He said, he said, follow me. And the truth is, I do have something to say because I've committed myself on this topic to learning. And I'm entering into this conversation on this topic with what I hope is a ton of humility. And I have something to say this morning because God's word has something to say, right? And because my, my heart has been transformed by the Holy Spirit. So I can give you what God's word says, and I can show you my heart and how, God, how the Holy Spirit has transformed it over the last 10 or 15 years. How part of my trajectory as a follower of Jesus is that God has transformed the way I view this topic based on, uh, based on his word and, and my experiences in the world. And honestly, based on what's gone on in our culture uh, over the last couple of years. Kyle mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but we did some uh, very, I would call it intimate uh, deep training around this, uh, around the topic of, of uh, the gospel and race, uh, a couple, uh, starting about 15 months ago, 
with a guy uh, named uh, Dr. Dwayne Bond. I always want to call him Dr. James Bond, but it's actually Dr. Dwayne Bond. Um, and that started at the end of last year, and he brought some intense discussion points to the table. And we went deep on them. He gave us uh, things to think about. He gave us pieces to read, documentaries to watch. And, and more than anything, he gave us biblical principles to digest. And I remember one of our sessions with Dwayne, one of our elders, I, I can't remember who it was, but uh, he asked him, he said, hey, Dwayne, what, what's our aim here? What are, we, what are we trying to do here? What are we trying to accomplish? This person said, Dwayne, listen, one of, our, one of our aspirational values is that our church would become more diverse because we believe that's reflected in the Bible, and we also believe it's reflected in the city of Richardson, and we want to be, a, 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 we want to be for the city of Richardson, right? And his response was tremendous. I'll never forget this. He said, listen, he said, if you focus on this, your church might become more diverse, but your people will become more like Christ, right? And, and, and I think um, a sermon series like this, when we talk about the race, uh, excuse me, when we talk about race and the gospel, uh, it might make a church like Mosaic more diverse, maybe. And that would be a good and celebratory thing, but the real win for us is that our hearts are changed even slightly so that we might become more Christ-like and that we might go out and minister in the world. Mosaic already is a multi-racial and multi-ethnic church. That's important to remember. It already is a multi-racial and multi-ethnic church. And we want that to be increasingly true. We also believe that a good understanding on, on this topic, and we're going to get into it, uh, a good understanding on this topic is pivotal for our formation uh, as followers of Jesus. I say this almost every time I preach, and it's never been more true than it is today. First and foremost, we're preaching to ourselves, right? Um, and we preach this to you and to one another because, and this is the part that I really want you to hear, our hearts becoming more like Jesus' heart matters far more than what may or may not happen at Mosaic in the future. So in the five minutes I have left, let's look at these, uh, these verses here. Okay, let's read 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, my, my idea for today, and write this down if you're taking notes. My idea for today, this might actually, I don't think it's on the screen. Uh, Christians should be more compelled than anyone to take reconciliation into the world. Christians should be more compelled than anyone to take reconciliation into the world. But before we look at why we're compelled to take reconciliation to the world, I think we have to define two things. We have to define what is reconciliation, right? What is reconciliation? And then what needs reconciliation? What needs to be reconciled? So let's look at exactly what is reconciliation. 
Reconciliation is this big fancy word that always makes me think of accounting. You reconcile the books. I have no idea what that means, but I've heard that phrase before. Uh, but I want to look at the actual definition of reconciliation because I think it provides a good foundation for uh, the rest of what we're going to talk about today. This should be on the screen behind you, and, and you should write this down if you're taking notes. Reconciliation is the act of causing two people or groups to become friendly again after an argument or disagreement. The restoration of friendly relations. The restoration of friendly relations. This is a great definition, and I want us to remember the part about uh, the very end. That's, like the, that's the simplest way to say this, the restoration of friendly relations. And I'm going to use the word restoration pretty interchangeably with reconciliation, because that's what it's, it's defined as what is reconciliation? It is a restoration. So throughout the rest of, of today, I'm going to use uh, restoration interchangeably with uh, reconciliation. And, and I think this paints a good picture. A pastor I read recently, he took this definition and kind of applied it to what we see in the Bible, and this should be on the screen behind me as well. And he, he kind of gave a more, you don't have to write this down because it's fairly long, but he kind of gave a more biblical definition of reconciliation, and he said this. He said, reconciliation, biblically, it is the aspect of the gospel where the separation and enmity between God and humanity caused by sin are ended, and peace and renewed relationship are forever established through the person and work of Jesus Christ. So essentially, what is reconciliation biblically? It's just the story of the Bible, right? There was, there, was, there was sin in the beginning, and then the whole story of the Bible was getting to um, God restoring humanity to himself. Like, that is the story of the Bible. So uh, that is the kind of more biblical way to define reconciliation. So with those definitions in mind, let's talk about what needs to be reconciled. Right, what needs to be reconciled? When when Kyle talked about this, I thought it was such a it painted such a good picture in, in our first week of talking about when sin entered the world, what was fractured. There were four things that were fractured whenever sin entered the world. It was it was our relationship with God, it was our relationship with self, it was our relationship with creation, and then what was the last one? Our relationship with one another. Right? So those were the four things that uh, were fractured whenever sin enter, entered into the world between, uh, through Adam and Eve. So our relationship with those around us needs to be reconciled, right? This is, we see this in our daily lives all the time, right? We, we feel that uh, as people who are sinners. We feel the need for restoration, for reconciliation between human and human around us. Paul, uses, Paul actually uses the word restoration uh, in 2 Corinthians 13, 11. He's talking about the Corinthians' relationships with one another, and he says, he says this is a great phrase that I've actually thought a, a lot about as I've prepared this. It, it says, aim for restoration. He's talking about the Corinthians' relationship with one another, and he says, aim for restoration. You should be aiming as a people for restoration. And I think this is especially uh, true as it relates to uh, the history of American race relations, right? It's especially true as it relates to this topic. And I want to stop here because I think it becomes, this is the place where um, it becomes very easy to look around and say, well, and, and Canyon talked about this a little bit last week, to look around and say, well, wait a second, I thought, I thought the laws in this country changed. I thought everything was good here. I thought everything, uh, I thought everything was fine. I, th I, didn't, I, di I didn't think we necessarily needed restoration. 
There's two things I would say to that. One, your experience of the world, my experience of the world, is not everyone's experience of the world. Right? Your experience of the world is different than everyone else's experience of the world. Some of the experiences that Canaan shared last week were pretty overwhelming, pretty staggering, right? And this is a lot of what we talked about in our time with, uh, with Dr. Bond was, hey, you, you, you guys need to, to listen and, and hear and understand that your experience of the world is very different than other people's experience of the world. And it sounds like such a simple thing, but I think we get, I know I get very myopic about how I view the world. I think everybody else experiences the world the same as I do, and that's just, that's not true. My wife, Jen, had a, a, we were talking about this yesterday, and she had a great line about how other people experience in the world, uh, how other people experience the world. She said, where there is hurt, there needs to be restoration. Where people are hurting, there needs to be restoration. Where other people's experience of the world has been hurt, there needs to be restoration there, right? And then the second thing I would say is that generational restoration, ge uh, restoration that spans generation, it takes time. It takes a lot of time. This is a very reductive, very reductive and oversimplified way to think about this. But I think, it, I, think it, I think it's helpful. So just know that going in. So let's pretend like um, Kyle and I were friends growing up. We lived on the same street. Kyle Worley, the Worleys and the Porters lived next to each other. And our parents had been neighbors uh, as well. And so had our grandparents and Back 200 years, the Whirlies and the Porters had lived on the same street together. And Kyle's parents, Kyle Whirly's parents told him as a kid, hey, you know, the, the Porters have never really treated us that well. The Porter family, they've just, they've, they've not been kind to us. They have created these clubs within the neighborhood, and they haven't really let us into them. They just have, they, they've, they've been kind of, they, they haven't been nice. They've been very dismissive of us. It's hard for us as a family to trust the Porter family. And then pretend like my parents, the Porter parents, stepped in and said, well, things are different now. We are, uh, these are the new rules. We're going to reset the rules. This is going to be um, the way things are going forward. Even though Kyle and I don't have the history that our parents and their parents and their grandparents had? Do you think it'll be easy or difficult for him to trust me in that relationship? Do you think he's entering into that relationship with me, even though we're kids and, and uh, we're, you know, we're playing on the same street together? Do you think it's going to be easy or difficult um, for him to assume the best in me? Of course it's going to be difficult for him to assume the best, and I wouldn't expect him to. Restoration, relational, generational restoration takes a ton of time. It's not solved overnight. It's not solved overnight. And no matter what you believe about race relations in the United States, I think we can all agree that things are not as they were created to be. You can't look at what's going on in the world and think, well, this is how things were created to be. It's, it's not. There's hurt. There needs to be restoration. We fall short of perfect relationship as it was meant in the Garden of Eden. And we fall short of this in unique ways as it relates to race. Um, 
there are four things, these should also be up on, on uh, the screen behind me, but there are four things in this, uh, this passage, in these verses, that I think will help us as we aim for righteousness on this topic. And those four things are that we are to be celebratory and curious. We're to be celebratory and curious. Number two, we're to marvel at the idea of new creation. We're to marvel at the idea of new creation. Number three, we're to willingly disadvantage ourselves. We see how Jesus did that. We're to willingly disadvantage ourselves. And then number four, consider the gap. Number four is consider the gap. And let's remember our overall point today, which is that Christians should be more compelled than anyone to take reconciliation into the world. Let's talk about why. So verse 16 says that we are to regard no one according to the flesh. We're to regard no one according to the flesh. Paul was, uh, Paul was warning the Corinthians um, of teachers that they were enamored with in, in their world. Paul had a hard relationship with the Corinthians. This was actually his fourth letter to them. He had, um, he, he had started things out with them, and then it, it just it went poorly. And the Corinthians looked at Paul, and you know what they thought about him? We, see, we look at Paul, and we see, what, a hero of the faith, the, the writer of a lot of the New Testament. The Corinthians looked at Paul, and they saw somebody who was, who was um, poor and lowly and somebody they were not enamored with. They didn't think he was awesome. And Paul is begging them to, to, to not just look at outward appearance, right? To look at what's going on in his heart, what's going on spiritually. And I want to challenge us to celebrate and to be curious about the soul. That's what, that's what Paul was encouraging the Corinthians here, to be curious about What's going on underneath the surface? What's going on in the soul and the heart? What Paul's trying to get at spiritually. Remember, according to Galatians 3.28, even if we no longer regard according to the flesh, that doesn't obliterate our differences, right? Even if we no longer regard according to the flesh, that doesn't obliterate our differences. They're just no longer the most important thing. Celebrate and be curious. C.S. Lewis has a great quote. He says, there are no ordinary people. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Next to the blessed sacrament itself, your neighbor, your neighbor is the holiest object presented to your senses. We're to celebrate and to be curious about the soul. Verse 17, marvel at the idea of new creation. Verse 17 is not primarily saying that we are uh, new personal creations, although we are, but that's not what it's primarily saying. The primary thing it's saying is that this is a new era, right? The coming of Christ represents a new era, one in which believers were previously marked by the things of the flesh, but now they're marked by the Spirit in this new era. This is... Um, this is uh, what some people call the beginning of the restoration of Eden, right? It's, it's the era that we're in where it's, it's already, the, the phrase that, that we've used in the past is the already but not yet. So this is the beginning of the restoration of Eden. And what a gift that is, right? What a gift that is and what a gift it is that we are personally new creations. We have the power of God in us. John 14, Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these he will do. We have the power of God 
in us. I think sometimes we don't, we don't marvel enough at the fact that we're living in this, in this new era, in this era after Christ has come, and the fact that, that we're new creations, that we're empowered by the Spirit. I think if we did, it wouldn't make restoration with others easier, but it might make it more primary. I had, I had actually two conversations uh, over the last two days with different people about airplanes. And I think, I think flying is insane. Like, we normalize it because it happens thousands of times a day, tens of thousands of times a day. You're in a metal box. I don't know how high you are, 10,000 feet in the air. That is, that's insane. I am astonished by the idea of, of airplanes. I sound insane right now, but I, I am. I really am. And I want, what, what do I want when that's the case? I want other people to be astonished as well. I want other people to experience that as well. Flying is, is crazy. There's a phrase I heard one time that I go back to often. It's gospel astonishment. Are we astonished by the gospel? Do we live, do we walk in gospel astonishment? So often I do not. But when I'm, when I'm reminded that we're living in this new era and that I'm a new creation and I have the power of God within me, that, 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 makes me, that, that compels me to live in gospel astonishment and to want others to as well. In verse 18 and 19, we get both the ministry and the message of reconciliation. These verses say that God in Christ reconciled us to himself. He made things right by providing a sacrifice in Jesus. There's a great line in the song, uh, King of Kings, that gets, it gets glossed over because it's not part of the, uh, whatever the, the chorus, the part that you sing a lot. I can't believe you guys let me be on that album. Uh, <laughs> The line at the beginning is, to fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word, from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. That's unbelievable. That God who created the world would go out of his way, would disadvantage himself. He was on a throne of endless glory, right? He came to a cradle in the dirt. That he would willingly disadvantage himself for our eternal gain. That should be unbelievable to us. The phrase willingly disadvantage himself is a phrase that is used in uh, the paper that is coming out uh, on, the, on uh, race and the gospel at the beginning of next week. And, and I love that phrase, to willingly disadvantage ourselves. Um, and this is why Christians should be more compelled than anyone to, to take reconciliation, to take restoration into the world. Right? This, is, this, is, this is what we are to emulate. Sometimes I think we look at topics like race, and specifically we look at the topic of race and think, well, I didn't do anything. That was a long time ago. That wasn't on me. Right? Those are the things that, that kind of run through our heads. But what do we see here? Jesus, Jesus didn't look at humanity and say, well, I wasn't in the garden. I wasn't with Adam and Eve. No, he, he says... I may not have had anything to do with that personally, but out of humility and obedience to God the Father, I'm going to be the solution, right? I'm going to be the solution. And, and the difference here should be obvious. We are not the solution, right? Believers are not saviors. 
but we can emulate Jesus' obedience to God the Father. And this is not this is not controversial. We believe it to be all we, we believe it to be true all the time in other areas of our lives. What are what are some names for a willingness to disadvantage ourselves? Other names for that are sacrifice, generosity, kindness, empathy, love, thoughtfulness, patience. But I think sometimes when it comes to the topic of race, because of historical context and political implication, we're often we're often hesitant to willingly disadvantage ourselves for the sake of others thriving. I think sometimes, this is, this is important, I think sometimes we think that if we celebrate cultural and ethnic differences, or that if we work toward restoration as it relates to race, or that if we love, for, uh, love and care for the LGBTQ community like we should as, as believers, I think sometimes we think that we're capitulating to a political directive or we feel like we're falling into one side or the other politically. Who cares? Right? We're not governed by political parties or their agendas. We're not. We're governed by God's word. And a mosaic in the years to come, that's going to, be, that's going to become increasingly irritating to anyone deeply entangled in any political party. And I don't say this out of arrogance, but... If the last few years have taught us anything, it's that in an age where people are increasingly polarized, the Bible, God's word, what it calls us to do, becomes increasingly despised by everybody. That's not something to be fearful of. God gave us a spirit, uh, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, but it is something to be mindful of as we move into the future. The last thing here that I want to uh, consider is, or that I want to talk about is um, the, the idea of considering the gap. What does it mean to consider the gap? Verse 21, verse 21 is a famous one. It says, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ephesians 2 says it like this, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. We were dead, right? We were dead in the trespasses and sins in which we once walked. But the widest gap in the universe was bridged for us. And this should compel us, as Paul says in, in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, to aim for restoration. The widest gap in the universe was bridged for us. One pastor I, I read said it like this. Um, he said, the principle of the Bible is consistent. That which God offers to us, he commands us to offer to others. We see this throughout the Bible. That which God offers to us, he commands us to offer others. We even see this in verse 19 and 20, where, where Paul says that God entrusted to Paul the message and the ministry of reconciliation. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says what? He says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. So if Paul has received this ministry and message of reconciliation and he's giving it to the Corinthians, he's telling them aim for restoration. We are to emulate Paul as he, imit as he, imitates, or as he emulates Christ. We were not given the, the ministry of reconciliation so that it might terminate on us, right? We were not given the ministry of reconciliation so that it might terminate on us. Christians are the very best ambassadors for relational restoration of anyone. Here's why. We know what greater reconciliation feels like. Right? We, are the, we are the best ambassadors of reconciliation of anyone because we know what greater, or greater reconciliation feels like. 
Let's think about it like this. Let's say I want you to become a great uh, chef uh, and to prepare, this is, yeah. Let's say I want you to become a great chef, to prepare meals for everyone that you encounter in your neighborhood in Richardson. I might give you books. I might show you YouTube videos about how to do that. We might talk for hours about the idea of what it means not just to create a, a great meal, but to create a great experience as a chef for people around you. And this, is, this would be valuable. It would be valuable. But it's not as valuable as what? As being the recipient of a great meal and a great experience from an already established chef. I was at a friend's house a couple weeks ago, and, or a couple months ago, and he had hired one of his friends, who is one of our neighbors in our neighborhood, uh, to cook this meal that was, I, I don't think I really knew what it was going to be, but it was, it was out of control. There was corn chowder with jalapeno marshmallows. There was salmon crudo. I don't even know, really know what that is. There was strawberry gazpacho. I don't really know what that word means <laughs> again. It was unbelievable, though. And after experiencing a meal like that, I feel far more prepared to know if my goal is to become a chef and to deliver a great experience, whether it's to my family or my friends, I feel far more compelled and prepared to do that after having experience than just reading about it in a book or watching a, a, a video on YouTube. When we have not just read or thought about or studied God's reconciliation, but when we've experienced it, the depths of it and the joys of it, that should compel us to take reconciliation into the world. The story of reconciliation is the story of the gospel. We can't bring restoration. Listen, this is important. We can't bring restoration with God to the lives of other people. Only, only the Holy Spirit can do that. We can't bring restoration with God to the lives of other people. But when we take reconciliation and restoration with those around us into the world, this is an imperfect facsimile between human and human that points to greater restoration with God and human. That's discipleship. Right? That's, that, is, that is discipleship. When we practice reconciliation and relational restoration, we are opening the door for Ephesians 2.16 where it says, God reconciles us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Human reconciliation, reconciliation and restoration between humans is a means by which we make disciples. To willingly disadvantage ourselves so that others might see what reconciliation looks like so that they might know and follow the ultimate minister of reconciliation. That's great. That's great. So the question, after we look at the fact that Christians should be more compelled than anyone to take reconciliation into the world, the question that we've all been thinking about, not just today, but throughout the last uh, three weeks as we, as we think about this topic, is how does this play out in my daily life? Right? I've, been, I've been thinking about that question. I'm sure you have too. What does it mean to take reconciliation into the world? Specifically, as it relates to the topic of race, what does it mean to take restoration into the world? And you might hear a sermon like this and think that, um, think, well, there's, there's action to be taken. I gotta go, I gotta go do something. I need to, I need to uh, accomplish some things, right? That's, that would not be uncommon in 
a, a, a church body like ours, and that's to be celebrated. That's a good thing. That is, that is, that is a body that is following Jesus. But when it comes to this topic, it might also be simply exploratory, looking at our hearts, right? Because this issue, like all issues, starts in our hearts. I think sometimes we forget that. It starts with self-reflection, introspection, and confession, begging God that he would bring celebratory impartiality into our hearts. And that's where it started for me. This this, uh, 15-month journey, road, whatever you want to call it, that our elder team has been on, it's been really difficult for me. It's been extremely difficult because I had to face some of my old ways of thinking, right, and and patterns that uh, I had either been raised in or fallen into over the years. And that was, that was uncomfortable. That was uncomfortable. And I had to confess those and ask God to change my heart. And he has. And he is. He continues to. The, the way that I thought about issues of race when I was 20 or 25 or 30 is, is very different than how I think about it at, at my age now. And I hope that how I think about it now is far different than when I'm, when I'm, or I hope that when I'm 45, 50, 55, it's far different than how I think about it now. I hope that this is something to continue to grow in. It's not a, it's not a over, overnight change, right? Lord, close the gap between where I am, which is showing partiality, like we talked about in the first week of this, and who you are, which is showing none. Close the gap between who I am, which is showing partiality, and who you are, which is showing none. And if you would say, well, this is not me. I don't show partiality. I show no preference, especially to people who are ethnically and culturally different than me. I hear you. I do. And um, I have felt those things and, and, and thought that as well. Uh, but I would challenge you with two things. If that's you, or if any, for everyone, I would challenge you with two things. First, <clears throat> dig around in your heart a little bit and do so in conjunction with some resources, right? We're putting out this, this paper that we've been talking about for like a month now. It really is coming out in the next couple of days, but there's some great resources in there um, that will help you even know what you're looking for. I think that was a lot of it for me. I didn't even know what I was looking for, and then once I had the, the resources to know what I was looking for, I was like, oh, I need to confess that. I need to uh, ask the Lord to change my heart in that. A couple years ago, we had uh, a family of color in our home group back at uh, the village days. And I remember after one of the many atrocities that have happened over the last several years, um, they came to us as the home group leaders, and they explained that they felt, uh, they felt fearful, and they felt hurt, and they felt sad. And... Uh, I remember thinking, I remember having such a disconnect of thinking like, I don't even know, I don't even un- understand where they're coming from. I don't, I don't un- even understand why they're saying this because I had not considered that their experience of the world might be a lot different than my experience of the world. Where there's hurt, there needs to be restoration. Restoration. Where there's hurt, there's need, there needs to be restoration. 
As Kyle mentioned in his first sermon, partiality is present in the hearts of all humans. And often, it takes on the, the unique cultural context that we're in, right? It takes on the unique cultural context that we're in, which for many of us has been very similar. And it's okay to discover these things. It's okay to, I think, so much of this has become so taboo to even, to even dig around in your heart and find anything at all. There's no, sh- there's no shame in that. There's no shame there. There's no condemnation in Christ Jesus, right? Amen. Can somebody amen that? Thank you. Um, Anytime we're digging around in our hearts and minds, we're going to find things that we hope we never have to show people, right? If we didn't, we would be God. But because we're not God, we we find things that we we hope we don't have to show people. And then the second thing I would challenge you to do, and this is uh, related to the first, is just to listen. Listen and consider. We live in a world of of takes. Literally, my job is to provide takes and opinions. Uh, But unless you're a sociologist, you don't have to have a take on everything uh, that happens in the world. You don't have to post 200 words on something that deserves 20,000. We don't have to be a a well-actually community, right? Jesus was not a well-actually person. No, Jesus listened. He asked questions. Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. He brought peace. We can listen and show empathy, and we can consider those in our community. Am I even considering people in my community who don't look or sound like me? Am I thinking about them, as C.S. Lewis said, as the holiest object presented to my senses? Am I even considering that? Here's something that I've been convicted about personally. So I'm connecting the dots here. So one, I need to listen to what people are saying. I need to listen. That's the first thing. I need to listen. I need to weigh my heart when it comes to partiality. That's first. There has to be, uh, there has to be something that undergirds any action that I may take on this by first listening considering and asking God to change my heart. If, 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 our, if our hearts are not, um, or if, if our action is not undergirded by that, then it's, it's not going to be long-lasting, right? If it's not undergirded first by considering what's in our hearts and asking God to change us, to make us more like Christ, any action we might take will not be long-lasting. And then after I do that, personally, personally, I want to experience greater freedom and impartiality in my neighborhood. I want to consider how I can move toward people in my neighborhood who don't look like me to bring relational restoration and be a peacemaker, and perhaps this can be used as a gateway to their ultimate restoration, right? That's, that's, the, that's the discipleship here, that, that bringing restoration to people around me might be a gateway to their ultimate restoration to God. We'll end with this. Like anything in the Christian life, this is a war in our hearts that will not be won overnight, or it hasn't been for me. It takes years of prayer, failure, stop, start, saying the right thing, saying the wrong thing, and ultimately humbling ourselves before the Lord. But we can, and this is the hope, this is the part that I want you to take away, we can become increasingly obedient to God's better way in this. There is hope. The world says there is no hope. The world says the answer is a politician or a theory or a book or whatever, but God's word says there's hope, that we can become more Christ-like, that we can become more obedient to him on the topic of not, not just race, although definitely race, but everything, that we do have that hope. We should walk out of here 
without shame and with the freedom to practice restoration, to practice reconciliation and to love others. We don't lack shame because we've been flawless or because we've lived in perfection. Rather, we don't have shame because God provided reconciliation by sending Jesus, right? And that gives us, that gives us hope that we can walk out and provide restoration and reconciliation to others. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says this, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. May we be transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. I want to spend a few moments in prayer. I want you to consider two things in your heart. I'm going to just be silent for like two minutes. I want you to consider two things. The first is a gratitude and a thankfulness to the Lord for bringing reconciliation into your life. A gratitude and a thankfulness to the Lord for bringing reconciliation into your life. And if, and if, you're, in, if you're here and you're like, I, don't, I actually don't have reconciliation with the Lord, we'd lo- I, I would love to talk to you about that. People around you would love to talk to you about that. Pastor Kyle, Pastor Jeff, Pastor Brian, would love to talk to you about that. If you do have reconciliation with the Lord, if you have uh, been saved, then just gratitude and thankfulness to the Lord for, for, for saving you. And then the second, as we consider this, is to ask the Lord where, where you might be showing partiality, to ask the Lord where you might be showing partiality. So we'll take two minutes, spend some time, just, uh, just some introspection, just some reflection, and then I'll pray and, and the, uh, the band will come back up here. God, thank you for your presence here today. Thank you, for, um, thank you for bringing restoration to our lives, to our hearts. And um, Lord, I ask that you would continue to reveal to us where we show partiality, where we show partiality um, on the topic of race. God, it's not, a, it's not an issue that is... Um, it's an issue that is that has uh, been here for a, for a, a long time, and we pray for freedom from it as individuals and as a as a as a city, as a country. 
um, but we know that, that that road ahead might be long. And so um, we thank you for our own restoration and pray that we would be um, just compelled this morning by your word, by what Jesus did on the cross to take restoration into the world on the topic of race, but also just to all of those around us. We ask that we would, we would be compelled as we leave this place, not to walk in shame over what we haven't done, but to walk in hope that, that our hearts can change on, on this issue and that we can uh, bring restoration to relationships with those around us. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen.